Podcast. What is up? You're watching the 124th episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to just talk about a bunch of random news. It's Christmas Eve here. So uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about the PLL MLL merger. We're going to talk very lightly about the Syracuse uh, recruit, um, uh, the Syracuse COVID issue um, with some players. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Will Bowen uh, out of UNC is transferring. We're going to talk about some of the top defensive units that are returning to college lacrosse in 2021. Before I get into that, though. We have merch, so I, I always say you can go to laxfactor.com to support us, and we have non-lacrosse or non-brand related stuff, so we do. We just have random lacrosse t-shirts you can buy. We have branded t-shirts. I'm rocking the hoodie today. So you can go to laxfactor.com to support us, uh, and then as, as always, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and all that good crap. If you want to listen to the audio version only, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or Anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere. I think the the number one platform that listens to us now is Apple Podcasts. Uh, but that's it. So let's dive into the show here. The first thing I want to talk about are the top defensive units coming into 2021. Now I did a lie. I did a mailbag uh, episode where we did talk a little bit about these teams. So there's going to be some overlap because I talk about all of the teams here. And I'm going to go from uh, this is actually a, a lacrosse bucket, Tanner uh, uh, Demling's list. So I just wanted to talk about his list because I kind of agreed agreed with it. So there might be some overlap from that mailbag issue uh, episode. But his fifth team was uh, the fifth best defensive team coming back. And we'll see if this ends up being true with Syracuse is uh, Syracuse. Uh, he's, you know, they gave up the least amount of goals than any other ACC team in the shortened COVID season and finished 11th in scoring defense in D1. Now, I think the only problem with that is once you start playing your ACC schedule, there's four games that Syracuse would have played that was going to jack that scoring defense up. But I think that most wouldn't have argued that Syracuse, probably Syracuse and uh, Notre Dame had the two best defensive units in uh, in the ACC overall. They lose Nick Mellon. That hurts. They didn't have Nick Mellon a lot last year, though, and they still overachieved, I thought, considering they didn't have Mellon on the roster last year. Uh, but they do return Drake Porter, possibly the best goalie Cuse had since Galloway. Evan Malloy would probably uh, uh, try to debate that. Maybe he wouldn't. Um, Brett Kennedy coming back, five cost turnovers, eight ground balls in the shortened season last year. He got time at close defense last year, a lot of time at close defense last year. And I really like seeing him run and play between the boxes and mix it up at the LSM spot. But they needed him to play close D last year. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out now. I wouldn't be surprised to see him still down there. Nick DiPietro, six cost turnovers, nine GBs. He's also back. Uh, they got the Gettysburg transfer, um, uh, Mitch Wyckoff. He could be a factor. Utah transfer Nick Hapney he adds depth to that roster on, uh, on the defensive side of the ball they have a very talented short stick D mid group as well which can you know just kind of further adds to the strength on that defensive side of the ball Peter Durth among them uh you know he's 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 going to probably see a little bit more Matt Abbott like time he, he last year and the year before he started really mixing it up on the offensive side of the ball especially in transition mostly in transition but it, I wouldn't be surprised especially if they end up having some some players that end up missing time if he's not one of them he you're going to end up seeing him on the offensive side of the ball as well 
So Syracuse's defense, uh, very solid, and and you know we'll see what happens with all the the current issues that are going on. But as long as they get their guys back and they get this sorted out, they'll be good to go. Another solid defense is uh, Ohio State, and Ohio State I think always puts a solid defensive product on the field. But now they've they they lost the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper transfers away. I forget where he ended up. What Hopkins or something like that. And but they transfer in Alex Van de Bovenkamp from Furman, who is a solid goaltender, definitely a serviceable goalie between the pipes. Uh, they also pick up Hofstra transfer Nick Wentz on defense Hill factor the top two returning polls Jeff Hendrick seven uh, cause turnovers 19 GBs and Jacob Snyder five cause turnovers five GBs they'll make Ohio State formidable and uh, very tough uh, in a very tough defensively in a very top heavy and uh, to a degree at least at the top end of that offensive minded Big Ten so Ohio State has to play good defense if they're going to have any chance of trying to get beyond that fourth spot in the Big Ten and maybe sneak into the third spot. But honestly, I think that it's all the writing's already on the wall, I think, for the Big Ten for the most part. No one who isn't Maryland, Hopkins, or Penn State want to hear me say that, but I think those three pretty much have that top spot nailed down. So Ohio State's defense is going to be key if they're going to topple that third team and kind of slide into that spot. Providence. I think I talked about Providence in the mailbag episode Their defense has been in the top 10 nationally in three of the last four seasons, something you're not used to seeing. Top returning pole, Emmett Jennings, 12 cost turnovers, 20 GBs. Toby Bergdorf, that is a dope name. Uh, Their keeper, he ranked second in the nation in save percentage at 62.8%. That's a solid ball stopper right there. LSM, Mike O'Grady, six cost turnovers, 15 GBs. He should make a big impact and can play both LSM and close D as called upon. So that's going to be big for Providence. Georgetown. Now, Georgetown is a team not typically known for their defense. Georgetown is kind of one of those middle tier teams that has a past where they were playing some pretty solid lacrosse and they've been middling uh, for a little while now. Offensively, they're as good as anybody. Defensively, people aren't all aware that they've got this this two-headed monster, I think is what Tanner, uh, Tanner called them, of uh, Gibson Smith and James Donaldson. Smith, seven cost turnovers, 24 GBs, and Donaldson, five cost turnovers, five GBs. Smith is a nice-looking lacrosse player. Owen McElroy led the nation in save percentage at 63% in 2020 also, so that's huge for Georgetown to have a solid keeper between the pipes. Uh, So, you know, three very solid returners coming back to a team that's complete. They are good offensively and have key players in place. They are good defensively, so look for Georgetown to make some noise here in 2021. And this was also my favorite defense, and I I believe the way Tanner ranked these, that Army is probably his favorite defense as well. But I think Army-West Point, Army always fields, as we said, they always field one of the best defenses in Division I lacrosse year in and year out. They always have a goaltender that overachieves compared to what people expected of him. And I'm talking these kids come in, you know, no one's really all that hype about these kids, but you end up with a guy like Shulp. I always mix his name up. I call him Schupler, but I think it might be Shulper. Either way, the kid between the pipes for Army, Schupler, Shulper, whatever the hell his name is, he is an absolute beast and a savage. Kid, 61.7% last season, and he kind of proved that it doesn't matter who Army puts in cage, those dudes are going to be right mentally. They're going to get their mental right, and they're going to be solid. And, and uh, Schupler, Shulper. Uh, he's he's no no different there. Next, it, what I like about it is it's kind of like a, a true next man up 
scenario. It's like, all right, who's going to be our goalie this year? And it's going to be a, you know, between a first team and a third team All-American, because that seems to be what happens with the Army Black Knights goalkeepers. But that's just part of it. Marcus Hudgens, one of the best defenders in the country, hands down, 20 cost turnovers, 26 GBs. He's back. He's capable, smart, athletic. And also mean, which is all the things that you want if you're an army head coach and you want a you know want to keep fielding your nasty defenses. Hudgens is the prototypical uh, defender that you'd like to see come out of a service academy. And uh, Kyle Baver, top returning LSM, seven cost turnovers, 26 GBs. He's back uh, after having a nice 2020 as well. So I like Army. I think that a lot of people would say that's a, that's a safe call. Uh, I think Georgetown is kind of my dark horse defense. I think you're going to come out and see them beat people up and play really tough. And that's going to you know end up being meaning wins. And I think that it might you might even see Georgetown come out in 2021 and get some lopsided wins. Uh, who knows what kind of schedule all these teams are going to play. That's going to start coming out here soon. So... That's it. That's my defensive chat. Let's just go random. I don't even have notes on this, but it was announced that the ACC is going to play and they're going to, uh, in conference, there will be no ACC tournament, but in conference, you're going to end up seeing each team play six games. So uh, everybody's going to play each other once and then they're going to have teams play other teams twice. And I don't know how they'll figure that out. Probably draw uh, to a degree, I believe. You know, uh, uh, They'll draw straws as they did in the old days. So that was interesting news out of the ACC. And then you could see for a team like Duke, that's going to, the, the COVID's going to seem like a really short season with, with very few games. You look at a team like Syracuse, who only normally plays anywhere from, I think they play 10 to 12 regular season games anyway. I would imagine Cuse is going to get their six um, regular season games in and that they'll, you know, beyond that, they'll end up. Uh, rocking a couple of non-conference. So I think a team like Cuse is only going to end up playing maybe two, three games less than they normally would. Teams like Duke, Virginia, who normally play into the area of, I think, 14 to 16 games, they're going to end up missing a boatload more games. So uh, the ACC schedule, that's how that's rocking. And I know all the other conferences are putting out something similar where I think they're beefing up the conference schedule a little bit, especially for the teams that only are only going to end up playing the conference schedules and nothing outside the conference. I think a team like Syracuse benefits from having all of these upstate New York teams that you could, you know, minimal travel and exposure and you could still get a, a safe game in. It, some of these other teams in the more remote regions are not that lucky and the travel will always be a bigger deal for them. So we'll see how that all pans out. But the ACC announces six games in conference. Each team will play each other once and then some guys will play each other twice. So that will be cool. What else we got here? Uh, we had a bunch of Cuse guys here get put on the preseason All-American list. So I see that Drake Porter actually got the U.S. Lacrosse preseason goalie of the year award. And if I were to give that out, which I will here next week, I'm, yeah, what am I talking about? I'm not going to. Everybody knows that Drake Porter is going to be my preseason goalie of the year, though. So that's no that's no big deal. But that's going to be the New Year's Eve episode next week. So. That's huge for Porter. Uh, Curry was also named a preseason All-American along with Porter. So that was a big deal for Cuse. Uh, Curry came in uh, 19 points. He was 14-5 and five in the 2020 shortened season through just five games. So Curry was having a big season. All the Cuse midfielders were having a big season. I'd tell my kids right now, hey, kids, how many Syracuse lacrosse midfielders had a big season? Or how many Syracuse first-line midfielders had a big season last year? And they would say, all the midfielders. I'm trying to teach my kids to be cool. Uh, so that is cool for Drake Porter. And actually, my notes say that Drake Porter has the biggest balls of them all. I don't know why I decided to make that the headline and I didn't even read that. So 
That is some news there from the Q side here. Uh, this is big news, and I saw a lot of people freaking out about this, but this is a lot more simple than it would really seem. North Carolina's Will Bowen enters the transfer portal weighing his graduate option. So I saw a bunch of people like, yo, this kid hasn't even played a full season at UNC yet, and he's already considering transfer. And they looked at that as a kid who's unhappy with his current situation transferring. That's not at all what this deal is. What happened here, and it's pretty simple, and we'll kind of go through Bowen's timeline at UNC. And Bowen's a big deal. Bowen was inside lacrosse's number two overall high school player in 2018. He shows up at North Carolina in 2019. I believe it was an ACL tear in the 2019 preseason that caused him to miss all of 2019. 2020, Bowen planned to play out his redshirt freshman year, and then he had that nuked due to COVID. 2021, Bowen will take the field for the Tar Heels. Uh, Oh man, I've been signed out. I don't know what happened there. Well, anyway, 2021, Bowen will take the field for the Tar Heels and he will play out what's technically his super red shirt freshman year, uh, I believe. So that's pretty crazy that he will still technically have four years of eligibility after, or well, starting with this season. And he's already been on campus at UNC for three years. And that is where the problem comes into play here. Bowen does not want to leave North Carolina to play somewhere else because he's unhappy. Bowen is a- apparently a ridiculous student in addition to be a ridiculous uh, to being a ridiculous lacrosse player and he's graduating in May after just 3 academic years. So come his 4th year in college, which technically by the end of his 4th year in college or by the end of his third year in college, which will be this year, he will be graduating. He will only be playing technically his first eligibility year out fully, and he's going to have three years after that. I don't foresee him ending up playing all four of these years. I don't see Bowen playing this year and then three more after that, but I do see Bowen playing this year and then maybe two more after that. Uh, But he's going to be a freaking doctor by the time he's done playing lacrosse if he decides to play all of those seasons out. And the whole kicker here is that, and, and to go deeper into why he's not just going to be a graduate student at UNC, which potentially he still could do. Uh, the business, he's a business administration major, and UNC's Keenan Flagler Business School has very stringent admission standards, including post-collegiate uh, professional experience. So it would make a ton more sense for Bowen to go elsewhere to play as a graduate student versus staying at UNC and playing. I do know that they hope that he stays, uh, obviously, uh, but and, and there's a chance that he stays. He's just kind of weighing his options. So that one... It's not what it looks like. He's not transferring because he's unhappy. There's not problems at UNC. It's just a smart-ass kid who graduated early and now has to decide, where do I want to go to graduate school? So that's nothing more uh, than that in there. Some other oddities that we've seen where you always you always hear about people. You, the anti-lacrosse crowd talks about how lacrosse players aren't real athletes and the Division One lacrosse players aren't real athletes. The pro lacrosse players aren't real athletes. But more and more, I remember even when I was uh, just getting out of school, there was a Horseheads kid, and I forget his name offhand. He was filthy, and he went to Maryland. And at one point, he was considering playing lacrosse and football at Maryland, I believe, and I think he ended up just playing football. And then I think he had a teammate that ended up going to – nah, that kid was from Binghamton, so that wasn't him. So anyway, it's always been a thing where you've had lacrosse players and some elite lacrosse players here and there ditching and not playing lacrosse and going to play D1 football. We're starting to see it happen a lot more now and with a lot of high-profile players. So it's like I said, it's always been a thing, but more recently, Duke Reader, big 6'3", 200-pound defender that was committed to Cornell – 
per his scouting report. Dude was a big bully defender, can beat guys up with checks while keeping his feet, but's also strong enough off ball to stay in the game as teams are avoiding dodging on him. That's something that happens with a lot of defenders. You're good. You don't get stats. You don't get dodged on. You don't see the ball or a lot of action because teams avoid you. Uh, so a lot of guys who are really good bullies on ball, guy like a Chris Fake, end up sometimes trying to do too much off ball because they get bored. Uh, they're trying to get into the mix. They force a little bit too much, and then they make things happen for the other team off ball. So apparently he's good and patient and lets the game come to him and is very good at off ball, very good at playing help defense and not overdoing it. Boom. So, But it won't matter. Won't matter how good he is playing defense in lacrosse because he's ditching his commitment to Cornell, and he's going to play football at Stanford as a preferred walk-on. Uh, another guy, Will Stockwell, uh, Williams commit to play both football and lacrosse. He's also heading to Stanford to 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 bolster their linebacking core, I believe is what he plays. Uh, as, and again, preferred walk-on. UMass commit midfielder Peyton O'Leary decommitted from UMass and is heading to Michigan to play as a preferred walk-on. Other notables pulling this off, Cuse coach Leland Rogers' son Casey. He's played every game for Nebraska this year. He had formerly committed to play lacrosse at Syracuse. Obviously, his dad's rocking there, uh, but he ditched for a Power 5 football conference, so that's a pretty big deal, and he's played every game for Nebraska this year. Recent D1 standouts that are making the jump from lacrosse to football or were trying to before COVID started fucking things up for him. UVA's Docs Aitken was in that mix. Twarton finalist Jared Bernhardt was in that mix. It's starting to look more and more like Bernhardt may end up at Maryland, although I have zero insight and no sources that have told me that. It's just watching the situation, seeing the D2 football can uh, season get canceled. There, there is a chance, I think, that Bernhardt does end up running around on the field for Maryland wearing the number one. Let's make that the question of the day. Question of the day for all of you. If Bernhardt does not return to Maryland to rock the number one, although I'm not convinced that's the case and I'm starting to think he will be back, who do you think should be wearing the number one at Maryland? I have an obvious pick. My pick is is flat out, and I think it should technically be everyone's pick. I'm going to taint the pool here, but uh, I'm going to pee in the pool by saying that I think my pick would be, hands down, Logan Wisnowskis. I, I think it would be a no-brainer. If Bernhardt isn't rocking, it goes to Logan Wisnowskis, because I think he's your, I think even with Bernhardt, you could make the argument that, that Wisnowskis is your best player overall. Okay, no. Bernhardt's definitely your best player overall. Wisnowskis, though, is a in super important, very formidable scorer, big beast that I think that you'd make the argument that he's the number one. He's the number one when he's gone. Uh, but what do you think? That's our question of the day. Uh, what else we got here today? It's kind of a herky jerky day here today because obviously we're in that weird point here where there is not a whole lot of news coming out. Fall ball is way behind us. The PL, the only news we have is the PLL merger, which we've already talked about in detail in the last episode. Uh, we talked about the D2 and D oh no, we haven't talked about that yet. D2 and D3 lacrosse tournament brackets. They're going to be smaller in 2021. D2 is going to drop from 12 teams in the tournament to 10 teams for the men and D2 will drop from 16 teams for the women down to 12 teams. So we're going to have a 10 team tournament for the men instead of a 12 and a 12 team tournament for the women uh, instead of 16. D3 and these this is all potential. I don't think any of this is etched in stone, but it looks like this is what they're going to do. D3, they could potentially drop from 36 teams down to 28 teams with 27 spots for automatic qualifiers and just a single 
at large bid. So for the D3, those are huge ramifications because that would mean that there would be a bunch of teams that are from these power conferences where if they don't get their AQ, they don't get in, and that will greatly water down the field in the D3 tournament. The only caveat to that is that even if they drop this down and, and they only have one at-large bid, it is unrealistic to think that all of these conferences are going to play. So I believe as they're trying to write this up, as long as your conference starts the season with four teams, even if you don't finish the season with four teams, but as long as you start the season with four teams participating, then you get your AQ for your conference still. But I think that a lot of conferences are going to choose not to play at all. I think some conferences are going to choose to play limited schedules. Some teams are going to back out. So I think there will be maybe one or two, maybe even three conferences that lose their AQ because they can't field enough teams and then throw on whatever conferences decide not to play. You have your at-large bids popping up and opening up now. And, and But then the other kicker, some of the conferences that are choosing not to play are going to be the big teams too. So it's going to be a really weird year for D2 and D3 lacrosse. I think it's going to be even weirder for D3 specifically, just being that there's no money in it. So they're, they're, they're paying to play. The schools are paying for these teams to play without with very little return on their investment. So you're going to see, I think, a lot of these teams, unfortunately – not not go not go and and not play uh, a whole season uh what else do we got oh another cool thing we had a twitter beef we got mentioned on the uh now i'm gonna forget the the nicosello and evan malloy they had nicosello he plays i believe who's he play for i think he plays for the whips uh for the whip snakes and uh, evan malloy former q goalie they started a podcast off the top of my head i'm forgetting the name of it and we had a weird deal where there was this kid who was tagging me and he was tagging them on Twitter trying to get a shout out. And I saw the back and forth between uh, Acello and he was, the kid was saying, Hey, Nick Acello, can I get a shout out in your podcast? And he said, no. And then he tagged turn and rake who is uh, Malloy and Malloy said, fuck no. And then he, I was tagged in there. So I saw it and I just chimed in like, ha ha, I'll give you a shout out. Cause that's funny. Cause the kid was just being, uh, you know, chirping them ridiculously. Uh, so Ocello mentioned it on their podcast and he couldn't remember the name of my, my show at the time. And I'm blanking on the name of their show. Here's my phone going off in my pocket. And, uh, anyway, it was pretty funny to have a, a legitimate Twitter beef, but that wasn't the funny thing. The funny thing was this kid was chirping us and I got the impression he was probably young. I'm picturing a middle school kid or so, and his parents hijacked his Twitter account and ended up showing ended up saying apologizing to Acello and to myself, which I thought was hilarious. It just put this kid on blast on his Twitter account publicly. And sadly, that's it. There's no other news to talk about here. Uh, it is uh, Christmas Eve. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas. For those of you who uh, are not Christmas folks, I wish you a happy holiday. Uh, for those of you that don't celebrate shit this time of year, uh, I would say happy whatever you like uh, to all of you. Uh, enjoy the holiday season here. Uh, enjoy next week. The, the whole world kind of slows down, at least in my line of work, over the next week. So I'm going to use it to savage away at work and get caught up on things. Uh, but for the most part, I enjoy this week between Christmas and New Year's because everything kind of slows down. I get to get work done quietly. Not as many conference calls scheduled every day. So I'm looking forward to that. I might put some additional content out for y'all. But uh, come back this weekend. We will definitely do a live stream this weekend. I keep saying it, but it's just hard to get it off. I got kids here, so sometimes it's hard to put it together. But this weekend, being that it's a holiday weekend and I don't have anything going on because of COVID, I will do a live stream this weekend where we'll talk about random crap. But as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support the show, buy yourself some swag, 
and all that crap. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, share the podcast. If you want to listen to the audio version, anchor.fm forward slash lax factor or anywhere else that you get podcasts. And as always, thank you for listening. Hoost is out. <laughs>